Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here. Um, Y'all ready for the big game? Okay. So you pray for me that I don't go long. Boy, that was a nervous laugh. <clears throat> well, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you here. Great to have all of you uh, joining us uh, online here. So we're in this series um, uh, talking about finding faith and building grit. And and part of what's at the core of this series is is just like going through difficulty, uh, moments where life gets hard. So uh, let me ask you a question. Um, how many of you, how many of you have managed to have a difficulty-free life thus far? <laughs> yeah, doesn't really happen, does it, right? We're all going to face difficulties. It's going to happen. Sometimes it happens because um, maybe somebody else makes a choice and just the consequences of their choice pulls you into something and life is difficult because of that. Sometimes it's just the way life goes, right? It's, it's, it's genetics. It's, it's just it's, it's how life flows or sometimes it's just... Uh, it's happen chance. Other times, it's because we've made decisions of one or another that led us into some sort of uh, difficulty for good or for bad. Uh, when I was uh, very, very young, uh, my dad worked in uh, the sand and gravel business and he ran an aggregate plant. And so he's always bringing cool stuff home. Uh, at least I thought as a young kid. And he brought this giant like packing bag uh, home one time. It's just picture the biggest plastic bag you've ever seen in your life. And of course, my dad thought of it as like, I could use this someplace to like cover up a piece of machinery or cover up something to keep it out of the weather. I saw it. And the first thing I thought was a parachute. Right? And so um, I went about, uh, um, I got that plastic bag. I'm sure he had no idea what I was doing. He probably didn't even know I had it. Um, but I took that uh, parachute and a big thing of string and very carefully went around the edge of that plastic bag and would poke a little hole and then tie the string around it and you know run off like you know six feet of string and cut it and did that all the way around. And then till I had all the strings and I laid them out perfectly and tied them in a knot and rolled Rolled it up real nice. And then we had this, uh, my dad built like this uh, clubhouse or playhouse that we had that was really tall and it over, it, it, it extended over like this wash and it was on these stilts. And so uh, I, it was, there was the perfect breeze that day. And so I climbed up on top of this thing and I had a bunch of my friends from the neighborhood there and, and I'm like, this is going to be so cool. And they're like, yeah, you go, you just, and I got up on it and up on the, on the, like the playhouse or whatever. And it had like a pitched roof. So I climbed up, you know, on like the pinnacle of it, got over to the edge and unfurled my parachute and the wind caught it and it filled up and I jumped. Poof. Right off, yeah. Didn't think twice about it. I jumped off that thing and I look up and it just, it filled up with air perfectly. And then in the next second, all the little strings just ripped right out of the plastic. And I watched as the bag floated off and I went hurling down to the earth. I watched all those strings just go whoosh, like this. And it's like, and it hurt. Let me tell you, um, I, uh, had it not been for, uh, the, the side of the hill was still pretty much on a nice angle. Not for that. I think I probably would have broken a leg or two on that. Um, and so the moral of the story is I learned a little something out of that, right? Mr. Payne was my teacher that day, right? In front of all my friends. Um, I, I won't go through all the things I learned there, 
but just to leave it as um, I, I'd learned something. It's something, you know, several things that, that had I not experienced that pain or that difficulty, I probably wouldn't have learned it. Um, and just, just so you know, I don't build parachutes anymore. That would be like one of the little things that I pulled out of that. But as we think about this morning and where we're headed, it, this, there's kind of really one point to this uh, message here this morning. And I'm going to unpack a, f- a few things out of this. Uh, but it's this, this just kind of overarching uh, point. When we think about difficulty in life, allow difficulty to be your teacher. Um, it doesn't matter whether you made some poor choices like making your own parachute and jumping off of a building or whether someone else did or whether it was just the way life went. Difficulty itself, regardless of where it comes from, can be a teacher in our lives. And so what, what I wanna encourage all of us to do as we face difficulty, if you want to build more grit in your life, allow difficulty or pain or suffering to be a teacher uh, in your life. Um, we, we're, gonna, we're gonna unpack this by looking at a particular uh, person in the Old Testament. His name is Joseph. And some of you are probably familiar somewhat with his story. And part of the reason I wanna look at his story, and we're gonna hit some highlights of his story. Uh, he went through a lot of difficulty. And I think there'll be some things that you will see or notice in this. In particular, there's this pattern to his story um, where, and it gets repeated over and over again, where he, he experiences like the good life. There's blessing. There's some wonderful opportunity. But immediately following that, there is this, uh, there's this kind of loss There's something that gets torn away from him in some way, followed by, uh, he gets uh, trapped by it. Like like literally, like stuck in a pit kind of a thing. And you see this three-part pattern repeat over and over again. But through it, there are some things out of his life that I want us to see. And there are some subtleties that come out in the story. And it's kind of like there's all these chapters of his life. And we're going to see a few highlights of these. And there's these little subtle things that get at this idea of what it means to allow difficulty to be a teacher uh, in your life. So if you've ever been at a place in your life, like like if you, if you experience something really good only to have something bad undo it, well then, like you know Joseph, because that's part of what he experiences in this. Or do you ever feel like something was stripped away from you and it just, you felt it as this deep loss or trapped in something, trapped in, like that just made you feel alone or abandoned in some way. Then you understand Joseph's story. But that doesn't mean that there's not something in going through that, that that difficulty can't teach you to make you a wiser person. Because the truth is, if you allow it to be your teacher, you'll become a wiser, smarter person. And the things that you learn that you become wiser or smarter with will help you go through other difficulties better 
or more smoothly. And that's my hope for all of us is that, that we'll look at Joseph's story and come away a little smarter and be able to navigate the difficulties we face with more grit, with more faith in this. So um, we're gonna look at Joseph's story here and I'm gonna start in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, if you wanna follow along in your Bible, uh, you, can, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 37 and let me just set it up. So Joseph, we're gonna look at him as a young man here. Um, he has a bunch of brothers uh, he is uh, one of the youngest. I think he has one brother younger than him. His father, who is called uh, first called Jacob, and then later also takes on the name Israel. So in Scripture, you see him called Jacob uh, or Israel at different times. Uh, has several wives, and and Joseph is from his favorite wife, and so there's this kind of favoritism that that uh, Jacob has for Joseph. So we're gonna pick up the story here and we're gonna kind of see where it starts off in this pattern where Joseph has the good life. Look at verse three, chapter 37, verse three. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So this is that story. Remember uh, Joseph with the, with the multicolored coat. Like this is, the, this is the story here. But his brothers hate him, not just because it's like, well, gosh, you got a really cool multicolored coat or something like this. That's not the issue here. Um, they all would have had coats. Uh, it's that this coat takes on, he gets a second coat, which would have in this culture being given by the father and one that was uh, adorned in some way made it special. It would have taken on a very symbolic uh, meaning. And this is what would have caused the brothers to just hate Joseph. Um, it would have, it would have been a message to the whole family that this is the son that will get the birthright that normally went to the firstborn male. In other words, he gets the inheritance of all the land, of most of the wealth, and he would be the one that would be in charge of all of his brothers, because all of his brothers would still be connected uh, to the land and the estate that they had, that that's how they worked it. Otherwise, if they kept dividing it up, um, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have enough. And so uh, the way it worked was they always gave a huge share and usually all of the land to that oldest male son. And then he was in charge and then he would pass it on to one of his uh, sons. And, and that way they would keep everything in the family. So you can see all these brothers and they're all like, wait a minute. Um, he should be way down the line of getting this. And so for them, it's like this kid, this, you know, this snotty little kid that's arrogant and just like, he's going to be in charge of me. They hated him for that. But I want you to look at how Joseph acts out of this. So Joseph kind of feels what's coming and he has all of these dreams. And so he talks about this and shares one of these dreams with his brother. It says this, look at, uh, look at verse five. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And here's why. Look at verse six. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain. Just think of like, you know, big bundles of, if you don't know what a sheave is, it's just like a big bundle of like a, a grain. It says, um, sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly 
my sheave rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Get, get the imagery of this picture. And he's telling his brothers this. Uh, verse eight, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now, this, he, he's gonna like, there's, this conflict is going to get really bad with he and his brothers. And there's a part of this that is kind of self-inflicted. Now, his brothers are going to do some very cruel things. And I'm, this is not excusing any of that. But what he says, what he does, like he's the instigator in this thing. Like, and it's going to go bad. There's a little bit of a self-inflicted uh, difficulty that he faces here. And it doesn't just stop here. Look what he says. And he also, by the way, says this stuff to his parents who uh, are kind of shocked by it. But look at uh, verse nine. Uh, when he had another dream and he told it to his brothers and it's just like, you know, cause they loved hearing the story of my last dream so much. I'll tell them this one. Listen, listen, he says, right? Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down before me. And you can just see his brothers. It's like, what is your problem? It's just like, this infuriates them, right? And and there's a little bit of him that does this to himself, right? Now, ever do anything that maybe caused some problems in your own life? I, I mean, maybe you didn't, um, maybe you didn't tell your family members that, you know, the sun and the moon and the stars were going to bow down to you. Maybe you didn't, you know, make your own parachute. I don't know. Uh, but maybe, maybe you've done something. Maybe, maybe there was a conversation that you were having with a really close friend or your spouse or something. And you know how you have thoughts in the back of your head and you get into a discussion, an argument, and there's something you're just like, this will prove that I'm right, right? And you have those thoughts in the back of your head that you know, they shouldn't leave my mouth. They should just stay in the back of my head here because this day will go better if they just stay there. And then you didn't. You went ahead and said those words, right? And it let, and like, and it's like, why did I say that? Because now it caused problem, right? Or maybe you said it to a teacher or your boss or a coworker or something, right? We've all had moments where we've done something. Maybe it was a decision that you made and it created an issue here. But in those moments, though, right? that pain, that difficulty we might face can still be our teacher. There's something that we can learn as we go through all of this. And so the same is gonna be for Joseph here. Um, his brothers uh, can't take any more of this. Uh, they grab him one day out in the fields and they rip that coat off of him. And don't miss the symbolism there, right? What they're saying is you won't. You won't rule over us. You won't be the one that gets um, that birthright that controls us. They just take it away and that's his loss. But now what do you do with him? Well, you, like you can't just send him back to his dad. So they throw him in a pit. That's literally what they do. 
And they have this discussion about whether or not they will kill him or what they're going to do with him. And luckily for Joseph, this band of Midianites is traveling through their land on their way to Egypt. And they end up selling him. Instead of killing him, they sell him to these Midianites. And suddenly we, we find ourselves moving into this next chapter of, of Joseph's life. And the question is like, what will he learn out of this? What will he learn out of this? And so this pattern picks up again. All of a sudden, life begins to turn in a better way for Joseph. He ends up being sold into the household, which is really probably this huge estate with a business and and all of this stuff by a guy by the name of Potiphar, who notices how adept... uh, Joseph is at leading and organizing. And all of a sudden, Joseph finds himself in more and more control of Potiphar's estate until finally, it's like he has control over just about everything and that Potiphar has. And now it starts to go south again when Potiphar's wife starts making overtures uh, with Joseph. She wants to have an affair with him. And he keeps pushing this back. And now again, uh, as he is like pushing back and saying, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to have an affair with you. There's the, again, there's this little subtlety in the story that scripture gives us that becomes this insight into like, what is Joseph learning here? And I want you to see this. So now this is in chapter 39. And like I said, we're going to, we're going to just hit some highlights at these different chapters of Joseph's life here and notice a few things. So uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse nine, just part way into verse nine. Uh, here's what he says to Potiphar's uh, wife. He says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, uh, it's real subtle, but this is a first that whoever, uh, you know, when God's inspiring this story, I, I, it's with great intentionality that this happens here in verse nine. And here's the first. This is the very first time in Joseph's story that Joseph mentions God at all or even acknowledges any human over him. First time he mentions God. You know, earlier in his story, right? The sun and the moon and the stars, they're all bowing down before me. Not even my parents are over me. It's just like this kind of crazy arrogance that he has. And all of a sudden, it's like we see him in the next chapter. And it's kind of like he learned something from what he went through before. And what he learned was humility. Like there's just, the, there's this touch of humility that he just didn't have before. And it's like difficulty taught him something about humility. You know, there's something about suffering and walking through difficulty that teaches us something about humility. You know, and humility is, to, it's that it's that ability to see more clearly who we really are, not to act as if we're more than we are or less than we are, but to just be okay with who God has made us to be. He learns that the sun and the moon and the stars don't actually orbit around him in all of this. And you know, sometimes humility can be a hard lesson to learn, right? Sometimes we can't learn it without something that becomes a little difficult. Um, When I was in college, 
uh, we, there's a whole group of us that had, had taken up racquetball because, uh, and this is when I was going to U of A and they had just built a new facility with these, uh, gorgeous, really nice racquetball courts. And uh, so we got to use them. And they had a set of racquetball courts where it was kind of like whoever won got to stay in the court and you just, you know, until a new challenger would come and whoever would win it would kind of get to keep the court. And there was a whole group of us who would love to go over and do that. And we would usually play racquetball with ourselves. And I got over there early one day and I was sitting there waiting for my friends to show up and I was watching two guys play. And I was kind of like, you know, they're a little slow, just, you know, they're just a little slow. And I watched him play. And I thought, you know, I could take these guys. And then the guy that lost, this got even sweeter for me because my friends are getting ready to show up, right? Um, the guy who lost actually kept the court because the guy that beat him had to leave, right? And so some of my friends started showing up or whatever. And it was like, okay, let's see, you know, maybe we can beat, you know, someone out there and then we can kind of get a court and do whatever. And I was like, you know, and I had, and you know, they didn't watch these guys play. I did. And I'm just like, I can take these guys. So then I'm like, well, you know, I'll go first. I bet I can take somebody here. You know, I was just, just a little, you know, a little proud on this thing, but it's because I felt like I had some insider information on this deal. So I'm like, Hey guys, I got this. I got this. Right. And these courts, the back of the court was all glass and they had like this, a little bit of like stadium seating. So, you know, all my friends were watching this and I was, you know, some stranger, I'm going to go in there. I'll win this thing. So I go in there. Um, he scores the first point, but it's because he got lucky. I mean, it just hit the ball and it just, just came off the wall in the back just right. And it was like this far out of my reach. And then he got lucky on the second one. Yeah. And then the third one. And by the third one, I'm like, okay, no more Mr. Nice Guy. I'm going to be Speedy Gonzalez in this thing. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to just like... And man, he got lucky again and again. And it just, and every time, like, and I, and, and he wasn't that fast, right? It's just like, he just got lucky with where the ball was going. It just happened to be barely out of my reach. You know, I turn around and all my friends are sitting up there and I can see their grins and I'm like, okay, this is like, you know, and then again, and now it's like, I don't know, like eight or nine to zero. And I'm like, oh, he's not lucky. He's just way better than me. <laughs> I'm just not as good as I thought I was. It's, he doesn't need to be fast when he's playing me because he knows where to hit the ball, where I can't reach it. And so then um, the game ended because, well, there's like this mercy rule. And I think it was like 11. Like if you score 11 points before the other guy can score, can't even score one. We're just going to call it a game so that you don't keep going through this game, losing this bad. And that's what happened to me. And I remember as I, you know, it was like 11 to zero, whatever. And I turned to walk out and there's all my friends sitting there like, oh yeah, Mr. Bartow. Mm, mm, yeah. You got the court for us on that one. Right. And, you know, I walked out of there a different guy than when I walked in there because um, right, the, the pain of that loss and what I went through, it, it humbled me. It, right, it became my teacher in that moment. And there's something about difficulty that does that. And it doesn't even have to be because it's our fault or because we're a little arrogant. I mean, it, it, that can happen for sure. But there's something about going through difficulty 
that it teaches us something about ourselves. It lets us see something that we wouldn't otherwise see. And so sometimes when we go through difficulty, it gives us eyes to see what we couldn't otherwise see. And so what I'd encourage all of us to do in moments where we're going through something that is painful or difficult, it's not to beat ourselves up. It's not, you know, it's, it's to say, what is it that I can see that is the truth about me that maybe I couldn't otherwise see? And you will become a wiser, smarter, more humble person in a beautiful, beautiful way in all of this. And it doesn't always matter that it was your fault or not your fault in this. And so what happens to to Joseph in this moment? Well, he keeps saying no to her. And then one day he runs off, but she reaches out and she grabs like his outer garment. And here's the symbolism again. And as he runs off, it's like she rips off that garment. And and it's symbolic of this loss because she's gonna take this and she's gonna use it to wrongly accuse him of him being the one trying to start an affair with her. And she says this to her husband and her husband becomes becomes furious. And because of all of his influence, his power, his wealth, he's able to to not just uh, have uh, Joseph like thrown in a jail or any jail. He is thrown in the king's prison, this dungeon, right? That, That would have been under the auspice of Pharaoh himself. And there he goes into the pit again, trapped, And he's lost everything in this. But again, the question is, will he learn something out of this, right? And even though this, and he did the right thing in this. Ever do the right thing and it still caused difficulty in your life? Maybe there's a moment where like you told the truth or you made the right decision and yet it was taken the wrong way or despite that, right? It, it caused trouble in your life, whether it was relational or maybe it was just financial or whatever it was, right? Just because we make the right or best decisions in life doesn't mean we get to escape difficulty. And that's what happened to Joseph here. But it also doesn't mean that it can't still be our teacher. Because there's something that we see in this next uh, stage or chapter of his life where there's something else that uh, he learns. So he, again, the pattern starts over again. He goes to the king's prison, but the captain of the guard, the guy that would have overseen the whole prison, begins noticing once again, man, this Joseph guy has got some organizationals. He's got some leadership skills, Um, puts him in charge of some things until he rises up to like he's like in second command to the captain of the guard, like he's leading everything uh, in this. And it's like, okay, we see life getting good for him again, as good as it can get here. And there he meets a couple of officials uh, from Pharaoh's court. He meets a cupbearer and a baker. And some, for some reason, we don't know why, they get in trouble. They get thrown into uh, jail and he gets to know them a little bit. But then uh, there's, and again, I wanna just highlight something. There's this day that comes along and we, he sees something different as he encounters these two officials that he's, he's known for a little while, but we see something uh, in his encounter with them. So this time, look at uh, Genesis chapter 40. 
And this is found in verse uh, six. It says this, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? Now, again, there's another first here that we have not seen with Joseph in his entire story until this moment. And it's simply this. Um, there hasn't been a moment where Joseph has either noticed what someone is feeling or experiencing, nor has he shown any care for what they're going through. And now all of a sudden for the first time, Joseph actually identifies what someone else is experiencing and exhibits this kind of care. And it's like, you know what he has started to learn? Empathy. Like there's something, like he went through this thing with his brothers and then he goes through this thing at Potiphar's house and now he finds himself in prison. And all of a sudden for the first time we see a guy, it's like pain has taught him something about empathy. And you know, pain is powerful in this. Pain uh, can make you hard and uncaring, right? You can go through something difficult and you can put up a shell. You can become cynical or resentful. And we've all seen that happen. We've probably all had to struggle with that a time or two. Like, I'll never be vulnerable again. I'm gonna just, and you feel the anger of it. Or, you know what we see sometimes? We see the opposite, don't we? Sometimes we go through something painful or difficult, and it like opens up our hearts in ways that were never opened before. It opens us up to holding this kind of precious empathy that is really powerful and, and something that is, is important. You know, it is, one of, it is one of the top qualities, characteristics, uh, character traits that you see of Jesus Christ, his ability to have empathy uh, with people in this. Um, you see this, uh, right? It, it, and it's these, just these little subtle phrases. Um, he recognized, and there's two parts to empathy and, and you see them both here. First, he recognizes the pain or the worry or the trouble uh, that these guys are feeling. And, and that's what uh, empathy is. It recognizes that, right? He sees them and he says, uh, it says that he saw that they were dejected. But then of course, empathy is more than just recognizing hurt or pain or difficulty in someone's life. It's the ability to actually meet them in that place. Most often because you can identify something that you went through in your life and you're like, I, I know that pain. I know that loneliness. I know what that hurt looks like and feels like. And you meet them in that place. And so Joseph engages them and he says, tell, tell me about the sadness. See, he's meeting them in this place. Ever lose someone? Ever lose someone that you really love that maybe was close to you? Yeah. Ever have a moment where maybe through that, you just waves of sorrow hit you? Or maybe for some of you, it was just the feeling of like, I, I, don't, I don't even know how I'm gonna go forward. I don't know how I'm gonna go on. Maybe, maybe it was a spouse and it's just, and you saw yourself like we were gonna be a team until we were old and gray and would somehow like we'd die in our rocking chairs on the same morning in our sleep or something. And just, and all of a sudden all of that gets wrecked and your world is a, 
It's in a spin. Or maybe it was someone that was just precious to you. And you just, it's like, I, I don't know what to do with all this hurt. I, like, I know what that's like. I, like, I've lost uh, a mom. Lost a close teammate in ministry a few years ago. And, and those moments like are so difficult. And you know, I remember when I lost my mom, um, my best friend, Darren, had lost his dad when we were in high school. And I remember uh, talking with Darren and there was something about, he was able to meet me in that place and I could feel it because he knew what it felt like. He, he had lost a parent and he, he knew, he, he just knew because there was something about that that opened his heart to understand and connect to me. When you're in that pit and someone connects to you in that way, all of a sudden you can be in a pit, but not be alone. See, that's the power of empathy. And so there's this moment that we see with Joseph that we hadn't seen with anyone else before this moment. And here's two guys and they're in fear of their own lives. And he is able to meet them where they are. And even though they're in that pit, they're not alone. Because Joseph, well, pain and difficulty has taught him how to be empathetic. And it's a powerful thing in all of this. And so maybe as you go through the pain or the difficulty that you're in or that you have faced or that you will face, like take the time to pray. Take the time to say, God, help me as you help me navigate through this and identify and understand what I'm feeling and what I'm going through. Help me to someday be able to see and meet other people in something similar. And if you learn how to do that through your difficulty, like you, like you become this amazing blessing. You, you become something special in your family, your community, your church, your like place of work, wherever you are in this. And so Joseph does this and he meets him in this place. And as the story unfolds, uh, the baker loses his life, but the cupbearer, in fact, his position is restored. He goes uh, back and he gets to uh, live in Pharaoh's court. And the, the pattern uh, begins to change just a little bit in Joseph's life. And oftentimes uh, th- that happens in scripture for very precise uh, reasons. Anytime you see a pattern broken, there's something you wanna pay attention to in all of this. And it's because that, like, there's something coming to an end that's gonna launch him into something else here. But... Um, we expect that as this chapter ends and the cupbearer goes off back with the Pharaoh, we think that the next chapter of his life is gonna start off as all the other ones did. And it's like immediately, like he comes back into this good place in life and then it's gonna repeat. Only the next part of the next chapter in his life starts off, but here's how it starts off. The cupbearer does not remember Joseph and he's forgotten. And then it starts off in the next chapter. For two long years, he's forgotten. Like new kind of difficulty. He goes into that pit and he's forgotten. 
But there's something that he learns through this that is really unique. Because sometimes we go through difficulty and, and it's more acute. Maybe we go through it in a shorter span of time. And other times we go through something difficult that like, that lasts, right? And, and what you see that he learns here, the lesson is perseverance. It's perseverance. Sometimes going through difficulty teaches us perseverance. But, but here's the thing about learning perseverance, right? And this is, this is not a happy news here. This is just the truth, right? This is how this works. Um, perseverance grows by persevering, unfortunately. It's not like we get to learn about perseverance, go, oh, whew, okay, now I have perseverance. You know how you grow with perseverance? You persevere, right? Which is like no fun at all. Those two years, it's just like, when, when, when are they going to remember me? When am I going to get out of here? When is God going to remember me? When? And it's just, they go on and on and on. But he is learning perseverance because he's learning to persevere. It's just like, and it just comes one little step at a time. I illustrate it this way. Um, back when I was, it was either high school or college, I, I was working for my dad. And again, he's like in the sand and gravel business. And uh, I don't recommend working for your dad. There's too many lessons that your dad gets to teach you uh, through this. And <clears throat> of course, this was one lesson my dad was happy to teach me. And uh, I got assigned to what was called oiling the pit line. And the pit line was just this really long conveyor belt. It was probably a half a mile uh, long that pulled material from the pit up to the main plants. But it was this conveyor belt that had uh, like more of these rollers, what was called these troffer rollers that would hold the conveyor belt. But there were like at least three or four of these rollers for every uh, bracket in this conveyor belt. And every roller had two bearings and every bearing had to be greased. There were tens of thousands of little grease fittings that had to be uh, greased. And the only way you could do that back then was you took a hand crank uh, grease gun like you've seen and you had to put it on every fitting and you'd hold it and you'd crank that thing and do that and it was in the middle of the summer when it was hot and and like and they ran this thing like 24 hours a day and so you were in there like with this loud machine and you had to be really careful and it was hot and you just kept doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And I was like this young kid who was hyperactive. I had an attention span of like five minutes, like anything that lasted 10 minutes that I didn't like, it was just like, oh! and to grease like 10,000, whatever uh, bearings, uh, it, it, like it took more than two weeks of working full shifts every day for two weeks. I was into it, I don't know eight minutes. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. I can't, I can't take that. This. this is like, it's hot and this is bad. And I am so bored. I am like coming out of my skin. Like I just, and it's just like, and I would just look up at this long conveyor that would just go and go and go and just disappear as it went up out of the pit and over the side. And it's just like, ah! you know, my dad's like, no, got to go back down there and do this. Um, before the first service, the preachers, we were all kind of uh, brushing up my sermon here. And my dad walked in. And so some were like, hey, Wayne, that thing about the conveyor belt or whatever. And they asked him a question. And he got the sweetest little grin on his face. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I made him do that. <laughs> and he goes, 
because I had to learn the same way. <laughs> so, and it's just like, oh yeah. And it's just like, because here's how it works. You learn perseverance by persevering. And I'm telling you the first day I did that job, and I know my dad thought, yeah, he thinks he can't do this, but watch. I'm gonna make him go back down there and do it again and again and again. And you know, funny thing happens. You do so many of them and you don't think you've got another half day in you, but you get through that half day and then suddenly you're just like, okay, maybe I could do like one more day, right? And then the next thing you know, you've put like a weekend doing the same thing. And then before you know it, like you look back and you go, you know, I can now do what I thought I couldn't do, right? But that's how perseverance works. And for me, like two weeks, and some of you are going, two weeks. Oh, boo-hoo, Glenn, I know. <laughs> My perseverance has stretched out some since then, right? Um, but that's how perseverance works. And in those difficult times, when you think, I can't make it, there's this loss or this fear or this thing or whatever it is, I, whatever your thing is, and then there's a moment where you're like, I, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. You know, there's a lesson about perseverance to think about in this. And here's the application, how, how to learn how to persevere. Just take what's right in front of you, right? If you're going through something hard or difficult and it just feels like it is, it is flooding the boundaries of your being until like you just can't even hold it in your head anymore. You know what? All you need to know is how do I make a plan just to get from here through the rest of the day? Just make a plan for that. And then tomorrow, you can make a plan for how to get through tomorrow. And the next day, how to get through that day. And you know, it's not long before you've put together a week and then you learn how to make a plan for a week and you start learning how God pulls you through and, can, and how... You, how God is, is sustaining you in ways you never thought possible. And then a week turns into a week and those weeks turn into a month and a month turns into another month to a half a year to a year. And all of a sudden, Joseph is out of that dungeon and he has learned how to persevere. And you friends, there's something about difficulty that teaches us how to just trust God for the moment and then the next moment, and then the next moment until he is making you strong where you know how to persevere. And difficulty can be our teacher. It can teach us humility and empathy and how to persevere. And when you have those qualities, you become a person they can do amazing things in this world. Joseph goes on to tackle uh, a, a problem. Famine is coming. Seven years of famine is coming to that whole region in the world. And Joseph becomes the man that can tackle it all and lead through it all. But it's because he allowed difficulty to be his teacher. And uh, you can read it on your own later, but he goes on to tackle some things in this world that you just look at and you go, had he not learned what he learned through difficulty being his teacher, he could have never done what we see him do at the end of his life. 
And friends, the same is true for you. Let difficulty be your teacher. Why don't you stand? And I'm gonna close this here. And as I do, let me just uh, say this. If you are, if you are here this morning and maybe you're in a really tough spot and you're, you're in the middle of that difficulty, you know what? We've got some wonderful people over in our prayer room here that would love to pray for you. Meet you in that place that you're in and just be praying for you uh, here this morning. And if you're new, if we have never had a chance to meet, I'm gonna be right over here at these tables and I'd love to meet you, shake your hand, welcome you personally uh, here this morning. Let me, let me pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness. And we pray that as we keep taking those next steps of faith with you, that you, that you would grow us, that you would teach us, that you would make us into all that you created us to be. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great morning. Enjoy the Super Bowl. And we'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>